Well, it is good. It's nice. This is the Friendship Podcast. This is the podcast about uh, friendships. Uh, but what I was saying is, uh, I think now the audience, we talked about this space enough. <laughs> the apartment, the garage, the cat ranch. Uh, it is a one-bedroom apartment audience and uh, split by two people. I'm fortunate enough to be the one, the guy that has the uh, bedroom space. Cousin Luke, who you'll know from his uh, sometimes cameo appearances on the pod, sleeps on a twin bed in our kitchen area. And uh, it is about as uh, organized as two bachelors sharing a small space, organized and clean as a space as you can make that. But you know what? It's home. It's my apartment. I record two podcasts in here, one with a friend who lives in a different city, one with a friend who lives in this city. Jesus, dude, just come on. I'm in the fucking bathroom. Now I know. This is Mason time, baby, because you know what? This is an all-Mason episode. This is me being, I'm, I'm going to be on my bullshit today, folks. Listen, here's I what happens. I promise you. Here's what happens. I come in to the Mark Marin Chateau. Yes. And I say, <laughs> Mason, can I use your bathroom real quick? And he goes... Yeah, sure. So I use it, but he's recording, and I'm like, he's trying to talk to me about something while I'm taking a piss, and I'm like, stop it! <laughs> Do you want water, dude? I, I didn't uh, ask you if you wanted any no, beverage. No, I'm okay. You're good. It, is a, okay. it is a chilly day. It is not as hot in the chateau as it normally is. Yeah, normally Marin's got all this stuff lying around. We have to pick it up for an hour yeah, before like, we start recording. Yeah. It's really fucked up, but I, here we are. I edit the first hour of recording this podcast out every single time. Well, it's, it's just us saying fuck and Mark yelling at us and... Uh, Really cracking the web. Yeah, we're basically unpaid. I feel like we're being too, ma- being too mean to an otherwise pretty smart and otherwise fairly nice if grouchy guy. That guy can go fuck himself. <laughs> fuck you, Mark Marin, if you ever hear this. Uh, well, welcome back. Welcome back, folks. I'm Mason. This is the dumbest podcast <laughs> online. Uh, I'm Noah, and uh, this is Mason's right. This is a all Mason episode today. Yeah, man. Uh, the way that it worked, the, the, the schedule worked out last week was a Noah's choice. On the uh, album. On the album. On the yeah. album yeah. side. And we try to, uh, as we've been doing this, we've been trying to go back and forth on these solo ones. So the first time I recommended the movie, then Noah recommended the album. Yep. Second time, no, I recommended the album, Noah recommended the movie. This time, because it worked out, I recommended both things today. And, uh. So you are getting a real insight into my mind. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna get fucked today. We are going to do it. I have notes. Damn it. I'm ready. <laughs> To get into it, baby. We're doing it. Today's, so, uh, this is one of the first episodes since the show has dropped. Have you gotten any feedback so far from... Yeah, people hate it. (laughs) People fucking can't stand it. People say, you know what? You know, it's cool that you're doing this little podcast. It's cool that you got a little side hustle activity going on. But just stop it. Just stop it. No one likes it. I'm going, you know what? That's all fair. And uh, we're going to do it anyways. Doing it. Yeah. We're going to do it anyways. What uh, about you? Yeah. No, I haven't heard anything too far. I will say that having since set up the SoundCloud, we do have an email yep. that you can get in contact with us with. It is everybody wants to... The number two, get on the list. It's very long. At gmail.com. We can drop it in the description. We'll drop it in the description so you can just click that hyperlink and send us a little your little thoughts. Send us an ad if you want us to read an ad and then send the <laughs> yes. check. Yes. As well. Uh, uh, send, definitely those things. Send uh, send love letters. Send, send ideas. Email. Yeah. Send email. Ideas, definitely. Yeah, if you have ideas of like either albums or movies or whatever or just ideas for how we can you know always make this better we yeah, always want yeah, to yeah. improve what we're doing this so. is episode eight i want to say seven or eight uh, i think it's or episode nine. nine let me double check we're getting 
close to double digits on this the thing. The records. Where are the records? There it is right there. Yep. This is Oh, this is episode nine. Okay, yep. okay. Yep, so yep, yep. we're getting close to our uh, second decade of podcasting. <laughs> it's been a beautiful decade so far. <laughs> Let's look back at the best moments so far. Uh, all right, everybody. Did they, I, hear, did they hear that about Walter Sobchak? I like... Welcome to the show, oh, everybody. Are we, are we going for What's it? What's okay, okay, so the first time I ever met Mason. Yeah, was why the... do you guys know each other? It's upsetting. Ladies and gentlemen, Dustin Titcomb. Ladies and gentlemen, Nina Kramer. Those are Justin, Jack Campisi. Ladies and gentlemen, Connor Crockford. Ladies and gentlemen, Rocky Pajarito. And scene that was pretty good. Yeah, thanks to everybody who's helped make the show what it is so far. Producer Carter, everyone at Merry Go Round, regardless of if they're gonna pick us up or not, they were instrumental in fostering our our, our weirdo visions. Thank you to the mayor of Los Angeles. Actually, Eric don't thank that guy. <laughs> thank Fuck you that to, guy. <laughs> thank you to Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky, Gordy Howe. Thank you to Gordy Howe. Thank you to was it Bobby Orr? Bobby, are we just doing uh, hockey, hockey players? players? Yeah. I don't know too many hockey players. Oh, there's Jonathan Taves. Thank you to Chicago. Jonathan Taves. Thank you to Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane. I'm just thinking of every single uh, Blackhawks jersey I've seen in the last decade. Okay. We got Tim Solani from the Ducks. <laughs> we got Steve Yeaserman from the Red Wings. If you, listen, send us some hockey players. Send on us the some email. hockey players to read on the podcast. Oh, boy, oh, boy. This is getting... This is. I feel like I have. Uh, this is the only good episode. This is the so only far. good. This really is the only good episode so far. I. Th- I think. I think that we're in a rhythm with each other, and it's comfortable, and it's just only up. Only fuck it up from here, folks. <laughs> we can only only fuck this up even more. You know, this is the first entirely Mason's choice since Jennifer's body, which is probably our most manic. <laughs> no, the most manic weirdest episode. episode. I think episode five with Rocky is definitely our craziest episode. By the time that this episode drops, people would have heard this. Yes, definitely. And I can't wait to hear what the because I found out that Rocky's another internet. Friend with somebody from the Facebook group that I know coming oh, from. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Damn. Small internet world, small Facebook, but enough of... Enough of that prelude. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Right. So, this week, my album was Robert Palmer ni- Palmer's 1980? Yep. 81? 80. 80. Uh, new Wave rock and roll album uh, Clues. Uh, Noah? Yep. Did you have any knowledge of either Robert Palmer or this album before I said, let's do this guy. Not the album, okay. but I knew who Robert Palmer was because back in the day when you're, you know, like nine years old or however old you are and those like best, top 100 best 80 VH1 shows come on. Oh, hell yeah. Uh-huh. There's usually one Robert Palmer song on there and it's, it's addicted to love. It's addicted to, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, that are simply irresistible. Those are usually the two yeah. that kind of fluctuate. And in. sometimes they'll throw in Bad Case of Love and You, which I think was a Power Station song, and he was involved in that. Doctor, Doctor, give me the news. That one? Yeah. I didn't mean to turn you on as another hit of his. I'm just saying his Wikipedia are you right t- now. Is that, is that the name of the song, or are you just saying that to me? I didn't mean to turn you on. Because uh, either way. Both! Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, so I knew who Robert Palmer was, uh, but at the same time, I thought it was a great choice because... People know who Robert Palmer is. Exactly, that's but the thing. I don't know if people know this album. Yeah, and I think that his image, um, particularly like the Robert Palmer girls and that Addicted to Love music video, were just like such kind of. You look at that and you just think eighties. Sure. Yeah. You know, like it's the it's the vinyl, very very skinny, svelte women like models. Yeah. Um, in like leather jackets, and he's like just in this kind of like lounge lizard. 
Uh, he's this very intense he does gaze it, that I like he, a lot. He does, and he also, just looking at him, he's a little bit on the older side as well. He looks old even when he was... He's one of those guys that's always looked old. And he doesn't necessarily look like what an 80s rock star or 80s pop idol he, would look like. Yeah, he's, So he kind of never yeah. really fit in in my mind for what he's, that decade was supposed to be. He is kind of on the last... He's kind of the last major guy I can think of that's very closer... That's close to like a... Uh, early glam, like a Brian Ferry sure. kind of guy, where that, particularly Brian Ferry comes to mind when I think about him and his contemporaries a lot, because Brian Ferry in Roxy Music was kind of doing the slick back hair and the suit jacket stuff, like the insane sure. suit jackets, which is such an, uh, a part of Robert Palmer's influence and what his look is. Uh, that uh, that's just kind of like the only other guy I can think of that just is remotely close to what this guy looks like. Sure. But have, did you get a chance to watch any of the music videos? No. Oh my god. But because um, his music videos are great, I think, and they're just really good uh, uh, time capsules and just how like we sort of were figuring out music videos. Sure. At the time, like this is just like a guy with a lot of like kind of money and 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 I think and uh, this album hits right before MTV. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. The first track on this, "Looking for Clues," was one of the first music videos broadcast on MTV. Sure. Did you read that? I did not read oh, that. That is that's uh I don't know. There's two on YouTube that I watched. Okay. One is um him like him by himself playing music and just kind of like dancing around in like different setups. Sure. It's like cuts. But the one that I like uh, more is him, like, in a white room, and you just see, like, this kind of makeshift corridor with a lot of doors. Oh, interesting. And he's wearing, like, a long, like, kind of, um, long, like, l- like leather suit and just, like, kind of going down and shuffling down this corridor area. And then one by one, the do- like, these doors open and people in, like, Donald Duck and Goofy masks oh. come out and just, like, kind of start dancing to, like, looking for what's clues. So, oh, for looking for clues. Yeah, for okay, looking for nice, clues. And, nice. uh, that, I hope that that was the fir- one of the first music videos broadcast on AV- M- on MTV, because it's one of the best music videos, uh, ever. Wow, <laughs> that's high praise. Uh, I don't mean it as, like, a, as an aesthetic thing, but just in terms of just, like, how well I think it captures the spirit of the song, that's, that's wow. my thing. We love that. We do love it. Uh, I think I've gone on a lot about Robert Palmer's, uh, I think that he, uh, what's crazy is that you know, and maybe what was just because he he as a as a brand or him as like an image yeah. doesn't necessarily fit with what you think of in the eighties. Yeah. But I'm so surprised that two songs in particular didn't get more didn't get more what I imagine radio play at the time, and that's uh, looking for clues and not a second time. Not a, well, not a second time is a Beatles cover. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, it's really? like a really old Beatles song. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh shit! You, is it? Yeah. It's. Yeah, to yeah, it's John credited Paul to Lennon McCartney. Yeah. yeah, with with the Beatles, I guess. Okay. Um, Damn, I, I'm a big dumb fucking. No, moron. it's okay. I think that that's what that's the thing is that like when I first so I came into this album in uh, 2017. Uh, I'm just p- pulling this up. Uh, I these what um, happened in 2017? Uh, a lot of things happened in 2017, but yeah, uh, to bring it back to this album, I was uh, at the production company job, the nice. full time job. Yes. Finding my time doing a lot of listening to music, a lot of uh, just listening to my Discover Weekly, making these monthly playlists that I've brought up before that I like to make. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was just sitting, just like kind of in my funk or whatever at that job, and Woke Up Laughing comes on. Oh, sure. And I'm just like, holy shit. On your shit. Discover Weekly. Yeah, on my Discover Weekly, and I just like kind of sit up and like, holy shit, like what is this song? Sure. Like what is this, I don't know if I can ever, I've ever heard anything like it before or since. Sure. And there's only been a handful of times that like when I hear something on the Discover Weekly, I just hit like 
replay once sure. and listen to it until I'm kind of sick of it. Sure. And then I was like, I gotta hear, the, I gotta get more of this guy. And so was that your first taste of him? I mean, I've, uh, like everybody, it was probably like simply irresistible or addicted to love, you know. And that was just kind of stuff that had been like just wallpaper for me, yeah. you know. Just like I can't tell you how many like kind of, you know, radio like parodies of simply irresistible you hear like like in an sure. ad or something for like tires like a tires or like AutoZone or something you know sure i guess that's fair you yeah. know and so it's just like i never think to give this guy a second shot or like or the best parody or which is even... which is you might as well face it you're a dick in a glove, <laughs> for a dick in a glove which just doesn't make any fucking sense but you just like there's like those like classic misheard lyrics which yeah whenever i see those fucking videos i'm like there's no way anyone actually thought it was you might as well face it you're a dick in a glove yeah just like nobody actually thought it was holding me closer Tony Danza yeah yeah just yeah. like nobody thought there's a bathroom on the right there's <laughs> no way anyone fucking thought any of that and yet at the same time it's like oh there's a bathroom no on the right saying, no one thinks that they're actually saying lock the cash box or whatever no these people it's are... called rock the casbah folks it's in the just look at it <laughs> just look at it uh, to your point about how you're not sure how um he didn't get more on the charts uh looking for clues peaked at 105 on the US charts that's crazy Pete, though, its highest chart position was number three on the German singles chart. Well, the whole album itself reached number one in Sweden, which is crazy. This is the thing, is I think that it's, there's, he, so Robert Brown was a British guy. Yep. I think when we think about British music and, like, British pop and stuff, outside, like, 30 years away from when this album came out. Almost 40 years away from when this album came out. Uh, this is cause yeah. This is from September 1980. We think of just, like, the Beatles or David Bowie or something. And then in he's in the middle because you think of that. Yeah. And then you get him in the middle, and then what starts happening is all that new wave shit. Yeah, With, like, yeah, Depeche yeah. Mode, which isn't England. It's, like, but it's, like, the United Kingdom Right, that's the thing. And it's, like, when people think of, like, when everyone's sort of context... Most people's context, I think, for, like, what late 70s music is, is, like, early punk. Sure. You know, uh, nothing quite as... Uh, polished and also rough as this. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I really like about this album is it does, I think, like, represent this interesting pinch point in kind of the culture at the time, as far as I understand it. And he... So there's actually two covers on this album. The other one is I Dream of Wires, which is a Gary Newman cover. That was my least favorite on that And uh, that's probably my least favorite, too, just because uh, I don't understand... I don't know why he... It feels like it doesn't really fit. Yeah, exactly. And I listened to the original uh, I Dream of Wires today just so that I had like the kind of full context of this thing and it is like it's a really good song but what makes it great is that there's just this intense like just kind of uh, rock and roll just like break in the middle of it where there's like just like this riff and then the song just kind of opens up and this version is very restrained yeah um, feels like it would almost be in like a it almost feels like it would be in, like, a video game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like an old arcade game, and it's, like, very 8-bit. You're like, just very, like, just, like, it feels like it almost could be inside yeah. a machine or something. Yeah, and I kind of wonder I wonder if there's, like, other stuff from, like, the session that he was doing this that did not make the album, because I see this, I see the song functionally just in the way the album is put out. It comes between What Do You Care and Woke Up Laughing, which are two very kind of up songs. Mm -hmm. And you need, I think you need something, especially... I would guess, I can't read on here, but if you're, like, listening to this on vinyl, you flip over between What Do You Care and I Dream of Wires. Oh, so I Dream of Wires is the first B-side? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. I can't, I couldn't find anything online that had the, the track otherwise. listing. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, that had the track listing. Um, but, yeah, that's just, like, kind of a low, 
allowed to bring us into Woke Up Laughing and then through Not a Second Time and then Found You Now. Cool. Uh, so I think, so what are your impressions of the album? What'd you think of it? Uh, this is a full recommend. Yeah, this baby, a, I knew it! This is a, I knew it! This is a full recommend. You know how I knew it? Because I put this, I hadn't listened to this full album maybe in a year, and I put it on and it was just like, when it was done, I was like, I just want to listen to this again. I want to start from the beginning, sure. hear it over again the whole time. And I was just like, if no one doesn't fucking like this, I'm <laughs> stopping this podcast right here. Well, guess what, brother? We're renewed for season We're two. We're renewed for season two! Because this is a, uh, this is just a, from literally from the first track, like I said, the only song on here that doesn't work for me is the I Dream of Wires cover. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Other than that, I would listen to this album. I just would skip that, and then I'd just listen to this album all the way through. Yeah. It's got such great energy. It's got... Just like really fun, but at the same time really well constructed songs and, and really it, yeah. well like well yeah. like I don't know, it just is one of those that like it's high energy, but it's not like like chaotic. Exactly. But it yeah. feels very well crafted at the same time and yeah. his voice is really nice and you know, there's just not really a lot I can say about this album other than it just kinda kicks ass. It's just is so I mean that's the thing too, is like uh my favorites on this I think are like Besides everything. Like, I love sure. every single song this. But I think, like, my three would probably be Looking for Clues, Johnny Mary, and Woke Up Laughing. Sure. Those are, like, the three that I, ver- like, first fell in love with and just kind of stick with me as, like, just the, the peaks on the album. Sure. Uh, especially Johnny and Mary. There's a gr- Speaking of Brian Ferry, there's a great cover by, produced by Todd Terje? Todd Terje? I don't know. He's uh-huh. a Norwegian house... DJ musician oh, kind of guy. Yes. And he has it's like it's this very like kind of it feels like it could be uh like you could like cut an AMV of the movie Drive to his version of Johnny and Mary. Got it. Yeah. yeah it's very yeah. like Johnny's always running around. Jesus Christ. Trying to find. Were you an AMV kid? Um Yes and no. I definitely made them, but I never shared them with anybody. Oh, you made them. I would there was uh I made a couple. One, when That's I, insane. To what songs? Well, so my dad taught me at a fairly early age how to use um, both how to rip DVDs. Sure. To, with like handbrake? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With handbrake and also how to use Final Cut 7. There you go. And so what I would do is like there's – I would just like love to t- tinker around with it. Uh, I put the final scene of Scarface to Bad Out of Hell. Oh my god. So when everyone's running <laughs> Tony Montana's yeah. compound, it's yeah. just the, the, the song Bad Out of Hell. How uh, old were you? This is when I was like 13, 14. Okay. Right before high school. Sure. And the other one I did that I remember I did was, um, for whatever reason, I thought I needed to uh, do the first the, the opening scene of Vertigo. Okay, you know, they're running, running across, across the, yeah. yeah, but in reverse. Okay. And underneath it, the song "Strawberry Swing" by Coldplay. Wow, that's fucking crazy. Do those exist anywhere? They're probably deeply hidden away somewhere in like the family archives. I don't know where they are. I remember. Um, I remember when I was in like elementary school. Uh, my friend was really into Naruto. And so, oh boy. And so he was. See, I never did AMVs. I did like FMVs or whatever, like film music videos or something. Sure, you know, like, like fan anime. cuts. Yeah, and fan stuff. cuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, he legitimately was like, you gotta check out this awesome video. And we like <laughs> went to some like sketchy ass like anime forum online on my mom's like fucking like. Do you remember the Macs that were like like white translucent that were oh, like, like big blue. squares? Yeah, yeah. Well, they weren't like they weren't like the like the Mac Oh, Macs. I know what you're saying. I said yeah, I know those ones. Yeah, yeah. But they were like yeah. these big squares. She like had one and we would like. 
go into her room and like go on some fucking Trojan horse website <laughs> and like watch like Gara from Naruto Supercut of <laughs> him like doing his like sand powers to Animal I Have Become by Three Days Grace. I Hell cannot yeah. make that shit up. Holy shit. I love that it was like uh god I love just like the new metal AMVs. Like, They're incredible. Like what I've done was like definitely a big one by yes. Lincoln Park was definitely and, like, Heads- Headstrong by Trapped. Do you oh know that, shit! Do you know that song? I don't know that song. We'll listen to that one off mic. Listen to that one off mic. Uh, Can I bring up how the? Let's get back to the album. Yes. What's always interesting is on the Wikipedia page for a lot of these albums, they'll list the personnel that were on the thing and the personnel. And uh, I love this. I actually didn't know a lot of th- th- these people were on this album until I listened to it and was doing research for the show. Well, so the most surprising and biggest one for me is that Chris France is the drummer yeah. on track one, who's the drummer of the Talking Heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess that he, Robert Palmer, had done some percussion work for them on Remain in Light. Yeah, and yeah. And so he was returning the favor Chris France was, and so the opening track of the album is Looking for Clues, which mm-hmm. is probably that and his cover of uh, Not a Second Time are my favorites off the album. Yeah. And just the percussion's just kicking a high year immediately on that first track. I think that that is kind of like, when I think about what makes Looking for Clues so great and why I just love it and just, you know, when I listen to it once, it's kind of the only thing I have to listen to is that Chris France percussion energy. Sure. That so defines, like, such a significant run of the Talking Heads. You know, like, they're kind of golden years and especially, like, um, in Stop Making Sense and, like, with... And uh, and uh, Tom Tom Club and Genius of Love, just the kind of just well, he was the drummer for them as exactly, well. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Tom Tom Club is basically everybody in Talking Heads except for Dave. Burton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but what's so great in looking for clues is, I think, just that it starts off with a boom boom, and I want to say that that's Chris France. I want to believe that that's Chris some Chris France's. Uh, like he's the one starting the album and kind of setting the tone. Sure, his musical sensibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it does. It is very indebted. It is very similar to Talking Heads. Yeah, I think no, this album, um, which is why I think like I Dream of Wires sticks out so much because it is clearly like a lower key kind of crop kraut rock. Totally, yes, hundred percent. It's and less of it's um, not quite on the energy. Here. Well, so like you remember, I was briefly talking about those like VH1 like top one hundred like countdown shows. Yeah, always on that show was Cars by Gary Newman. Here in my car. Yes. I know. No, no, no. I love that song. <laughs> so I remember hearing that and then like watching it and then my like dad walking in the room being like, "Oh, that song sucks, dick." Oh, what? <laughs> and then me being like. Oh, I'm nine. Sure. <laughs> like, I agree that that song also sucks dick, Dad. And uh, so, like, and then I'll, like, and then for, like, years, I was just like, oh, this song just sucks because that's what I was told. Yeah. And then I go back and listen to it. I'm like, I don't think this song sucks, but, like, it doesn't make sense within the context of this album at all. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, so, yeah, Johnny Mary, I, I think Woke Up Laughing was also... So, at this old job, at this old production company yeah. job, we had a, like, MP3 system that would play music through the like kitchen Sonos and kitchen. and stuff? Yeah, exactly. It was yeah. a Sonos system, and that was my job. Well, one of my jobs every day was to turn that thing and get it on and be, like, kind of the music monitor for the sure. office. Because we had, uh, I worked at uh, Lakeshore Entertainment. I don't think it's ever been, a, like, a secret or anything. I Is that a secret? Is it a secret? No, it's not a secret. I mean, like, when they fired me... Or let me go, or whatever. Uh, you know, I didn't have to sign any NDAs or whatever. Sure. Uh, but, you know, part of Lakeshore Entertainment was Lakeshore Records. And okay. they did a lot. Speaking of Drive, uh, Brian McNallis, who was in charge of Lakeshore Records as the music supervisor on Drive. Okay. Uh, they, it's all coming together, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do a lot of uh, 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 soundtrack production, like producing, sound, like they produce the Stranger Things soundtrack. Oh, wow. Um, 
a uh, couple other things that are just escaping me right now because I I would see it. But the big thing was they would play the music from Lakeshore Records on this MP3. Uh, and I'm going about my business in the, the office, and I'm rarely ever in the kind of MP3 area outside of, like, my kind of uh, routine. So I would hear the same songs every single day. Sure. And it would dr- sometimes it would drive me crazy. You Make Love and Fun by Fleetwood Mac was in the rotation. That's one of my favorite songs. So sure. it's like... Okay. You just gotta wait for that to come. Yeah. Around. So it's but there be a couple times I'm just out of the routine for whatever reason. Like the the uh, the MP3 player skips and we like I would hear a new song at a different time. I'm going through my business in the morning, then all of a sudden, woke up laughing comes on, and I just like set my plate down that I'm cleaning. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, it's a fucking because, miracle. Uh, it's in Pineapple Express. Oh. Apparently. Haven't seen that movie in years. I haven't seen Pineapple Express, period. I mean, we we did just talk about David Gordon Green, so... We love that boy. We do love that boy. He's a good boy. Uh, So I got to check it out at some point, if not. Uh, But I think it's interesting that it is... uh, I think that speaks a lot to David Gordon Green's (laughs) sensibilities. Oh, he's he's a freaking genius. That he just, like, also found this song. Yeah, 100%. In, like, 2008. Like, in 2008, you didn't have Spotify. Like, he probably just, like, had this record or something. Yeah, 100%. He's already a fan. Yeah. Anyways, Woke Up Laughing I love because it is... uh, It's... So I, from what I understand about the the history of him writing this album, he was spending a lot of time in the Bahamas. Okay. The album art, which I love, is him like listening to, uh, in like a, it's his wife who like his did wife it, right? took the picture. Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, it was recorded in the Bahamas. That's right. He spent like t- was taking a break in the Bahamas or whatever, and uh, woke up laughing is his like kind of song about um the routine that he falls into. Oh, interesting. Uh, or he fell into it. Um, so he's a bit of a joker, as they say. He's a little, it is a funny song. It's kind of, it does the Mr. Brightside thing where it's like one verse repeated again twice. Yeah. And it's, um, I want to actually just look up these lyrics here because I think it's, because uh, I think that's another thing that uh, people don't know about Robert Palmer and be, if they only know him through Addicted to Love, which I think is also a great song. It's a great song. So is Simply Irresistible. So is, you know... I yeah, mean, I mean, really just like trying like, to divorce yeah. it from everything that we know about it. Right. Like, all of our kind of, like, everything we bring to the table, it's a pretty good song. Uh, they're all pretty good songs. Uh, what are you doing wait a second. There? I'm looking up the Robert Palmer Woke Up Laughing lyrics. This is not into... Wait. What are you doing, you silly boy? Uh, here it is. I was waiting for you. I sat in the sun. I could picture your face on the tip of my tongue. Woke up laughing. Broke into a sweat. Broke into a run. Hot on my heels. So I hired a gun. Woke up laughing. Because I'm Mr. Brightside. Because I'm Mr. Brightside. <laughs> woke up laughing. Woke up laughing. Uh, meditate. Make haste. Run a risk. Come late. Pay a bill. You lose face. You're fully not aware. Your star. Your fate. If you fall, do you break? If you go to war, you make love. You sign out in a box. Mr. Brightside. Mr. Brightside. <laughs> Jealousy. Jealousy. Something, turning fates into the sea. Yeah. Turning music lullaby. Choking on your alibi. alibi. But it's just the price I pay. Destiny is calling me. You know what? Now that I think about it, woke up laughing is the Mr. Brightside of the 80s. <laughs> now that I think about it, yeah, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, this is a great album. Full recommend from me. I don't think I, there's much more to say about it. I mean, it. I fully recommend it also. I think that especially if... Um, uh, uh, there's such a, there's like a, the, the phenomenon that I love is when you, th- you have a picture of somebody in your head and then you like, especially an artist of some kind, and then you just find something like this, uh, that, uh, I just got a text or something. Anyways, um, or something, yeah, or something, um, y- and you kind of are somehow by hook or by crook brought to the rest of their, like the rest of their Profile like the rest of their 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 whatever they've made. Sure. And you can learn a lot, and you can kind of 
adjust your expectations and especially adjust what you know about the original thing that you're familiar with them with. Uh, and I think looking for clues is kind of a great, like, lost classic almost in a way. Like, like no and I are in agreement that, like, kind of the weakest link on the album is the one that doesn't feel fully Robert Palmer. Absolutely. And you were surprised that uh, not, not, not a Second Chance was not a... Not a second time. Not a second time, I'm sorry. Was a Beatles song, because he, he just embodies and he... Totally. It, he that song feels like his song. Absolutely. And I'm trying to think of other... What, can you, off the top of your head, think of other examples of songs you didn't know were covers? Uh, oh shit. Um, 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 well, Manic Monday is like kind of the big one. That's a but Prince song. That's a Prince song. That's a Prince song. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that either. Oh, nothing. Speaking of Prince, nothing compares to you. For some reason, it was a, was a Prince song. Uh, what is another one? Here, I'm gonna look up some... one of those classic BuzzFeed articles. Oh yeah, songs you, you didn't, didn't know, know were covers. covers. Hurt by Johnny Cash, imagined by John <laughs> Lennon. Songs you didn't know could fuck you. <laughs> songs you didn't. Uh oh, there was this is a little one, but um, Galaxy 500 had a cover of "Isn't It a Pity," which I didn't realize was a George Harrison song. Oh, uh, I don't even know who Galaxy 500 is, to be honest with you. I kind of want to do On Fire on this podcast. Maybe we need to wait for it to get cooler, but that's another album that I think... I was listening to that earlier today. We got um, Respect is an Otis Redding song. Yes, I knew that. Yes, okay. Um, that's true. Yeah. We've got... Oh, Blinded by the Light. Classic. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. a Bruce song. It is a Bruce song. It's also the name of a Bruce movie, which I thought was pretty good. Pretty good. I thought it was cute. I haven't seen it yet. It does look cute. I, uh... Don't know a lot about that filmmaker other than that she did Bend It, bend it like Beckham. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if she's done like a whole lot more than that. I'm sure she has, but that's one that's uh, <laughs> on the list. <laughs> uh, on the list. Oh, here we go. Uh, Bittersweet Symphony. By The Verve? Well, they sample the last time. Would They sample a, uh, or the, the track in that, the do-do-do-do-do-do, is a sample of an orchestral version of a Rolling Stone song. Gotcha. Which has got them into a little bit of trouble. The um, oh yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, one, yeah, the yeah. one that like I knew, but some like it's easy to not know is that all along the Watchtower is a Bob Dylan song. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it's yeah. you know Bob Jimi Hendrix is probably has the more famous uh, version. Oh, of it. here's another one, Gloria by Gloria by Laura Brannigan. Gloria. Oh yes, yeah, 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 Because the original Italian version was in the Wolf of Wall Street, and I was like, hold on a second, what are you doing, Marty? Marty. And then uh, love you, Marty. Yeah. Oh, Marty, come on the pod. Come on, Marty. We can talk about Marvel all you want. Yes. Oh fuck, I would love to. Thank you for thank you for riling up the nerds so we didn't have to, Marty. Like truly, the bravest the bravest thing anyone's ever done. Doing God's work online was getting nerds in my feed mad and getting me mad at the nerds in my feed because uh if there's one thing that uh here's this there's a completely boneheaded take i saw that was like marty scorsese doesn't understand movies and i'm like are you serious dude i'm talking about a guy who absolutely understands movies are you serious are you serious uh i don't got anything else about this it's a full recommend for me full recommendo from this one let me intro the movie Okay, I do kind of want you to intro. So this is a, 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 a this episode is a peek into the twisted mind of Mason McGuire. <laughs> the Joker mind <laughs> of Mason McGuire. I saw the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie over the weekend, and I'm feeling twisted. I just hope that this podcast makes more sense than my other podcast. <laughs> that's a that's a fucking classic. Well, I used to think my life was a tragedy, but now I realize it's a comedy. I used to think my life was a cringe compilation. <laughs> now I realize it's, it's a, a podcast. Tra- <laughs> It's a podcast. I was going to say, try not to laugh. <laughs> but uh, the movie this week is not a cringe compilation. No. Nor is it a try not to laugh compilation. Right. Nor is it an AMV. 
Yes. The movie this week is a South Korean comedy? Question mark? Co- drama? Question here's mark? what I think. Here's what my thing is right off the top. I want you to keep going, but here's my thing. We're going to abandon all notions of genre before we talk about this movie. Great. Genre doesn't exist. Great. Genre doesn't exist. Genre doesn't exist. It is a... It is a... Uh, it is... Uh, it's a movie. It's a movie. It's a film. It's a film. This is a South Korean film. Yes. Uh, by South Korean auteur... Hong Sang-soo. Hong Sang-soo. And uh, it's called Right Now, Wrong Then. Right and Then, Wrong Now. Nope. <laughs> no. Right Wrong. Now right then. Wrong, Wrong Now. <laughs> uh, right Then, Wrong Now. Right, yeah, Right Now, Wrong Then. Right Now, Wrong Then. Right Now, Wrong Then. Who's on first? What's on second? What's on second? I don't know who's on <laughs> third. But is it, so it's right, is it actually Right Now, Wrong Then? It is Right Now, Wrong That's what I thought. Then. Yeah, Right Now, and I was Wrong cur- Then. So I was curious about this, actually. So I typed in the uh, Korean title into uh like i copy pasted off wikipedia yep put it into google translate and google translate gave me right now right now right now wrong now right now wrong now yeah okay which doesn't right now wrong then makes a little more sense if you know what's going on sense yes well the big the big thing about this film is that it's a movie for six for you have one movie for sixty minutes yes and then a break yes and then the same movie again yes. but different yes for the other sixty minutes yes so in a way it's kind of an experimental film I think yes I think that it is an experiment that's what I like so what's your experience with Hong Sang Soo before we get into this so Hong Sang Soo is a director that I didn't know about until late twenty seventeen. I took a class in college at Chapman University called uh, Korean Cinema Today, right? which is a class that I really didn't like going to, but a class that I watched a lot of good movies in. Yes. Also some really shitty movies in, yes. such as uh, Untold Scandal and Secret Something where they play Pale Blue Eyes. I'm sorry, I think I've talked about that on the podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. before. But we also watched great stuff. We watched... Bong Joon-ho movies. We watched... Which, if you ha- y'all haven't movies. seen Parasite... You gotta see it. Run, don't walk to the local wherever to see uh, Parasite. It is probably... It, I don't know if it'll be my favorite movie this year, but it is the film of the year, as far as I'm concerned. Wow. Big praise. As far as I'm concerned. Keep going. Big praise. <laughs> but I, so I knew about Hong Sang-soo because in that class, the final was you had to watch five movies that we didn't watch in class. Could mm-hmm. be same director. But just five, just five different movies. Okay. Five different movies. And so I'm like, okay, well, we watched a lot of stinkers in this class because <laughs> it wasn't a best of South Korea class. You were just trying to get, like, the full picture of yes. what. Yes. And so we watched a lot of stuff that was made within the last five years. I see. And at that time, that was 2017. So that would have been, like, okay. stuff that was made basically from 2013 to 2017. Right. So we watched, like... Which is, the, as long, that's when they got film in South Korea. There's yes. never been a movie before. <laughs> so it was like all of South Korean cinema all But so we watched, Watch like, Memories of Murder from 2003. We're being facetious, folks. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I was like, what am I going to watch? So I watched uh, Old Boy, because we didn't watch that in class. Nice. We, I watched Spring, Summer, Winter, Fall, and Spring. Okay. By Kim Ki-duk, I believe, is the director on that. What'd you think of that one? It was interesting. Okay. It wasn't my favorite, but it was interesting. I remember w- coming in on my parents watching that movie when I was very young. Really? I don't know why they chose to watch other than, like, somebody maybe told them it was a good movie, but I just remember coming down and it. it's, like, what I remember is just, like, a monk or something, and yes. it being very quiet. It's very quiet. It's about a monk basically becoming a lifelong mentor to a student. 
and their pupil student relationship. Uh, sounds like some, some Ozu shit. Yeah, some kids are screaming outside the chateau. Kids. Come on, kids, get uh, off the like, hill. Sounds like some Ozu shit, and I'm all about it. It was very Ozu esque, but Ozu finds a way to probably do it way better. Yes. So. Uh, but I think that movie was even, I don't, again, you're gonna have to fucking fact check me, but I think that movie was nominated for, like, a best foreign film Oscar I think back in the day. I believe you're right, so that was, those were that two was, of them. Those were two of them. Okay. Uh, one of them was, uh, you're killing me, folks, I can't remember. Either way, I had to watch five, I can't remember what the other, two of the other ones were, but... One of them was The Day He Arrives yes. by Hong Sang-soo, which, from what I've read, is what most people say that's a great place to start with him. I, yes. Have I, you seen The Day He Arrives? I have seen, so, uh, I have. I first came into the, just a little bit of background of me and Hong Sang-soo. I saw th- a trailer for this movie in 20, back to 2017. Yes. At Family. Oh, wow. So R.I.P. Cinefamily. R.I.P. to the space and the yes. community, not yes. R.I.P. to... The uh, Cinefamily. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, but I was going to see some movie, and the trailer for this is... Um, and I watched it again today to refresh, so I was like... I, I could speak to what it actually was. The trailer for this is the last scene that that uh, 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 direct, the director and Kim and he have together. Oh, yes. Played in reverse. Oh. And then it wow. just says, right now, wrong, then, directed by Hong Sang-soo. And that's the trailer. And that's the whole trailer? Yeah. Wow. And so I was, I was in 2017, I saw that trailer, and I'm like, oh, fuck, okay. And it uh, just totally invaded your mind? It just totally invaded my mind, yeah. And then uh, this was, and so kind of just filed it away. Uh, June of last year, I had been on an Ozu kick. Yes. I saw Tokyo Story for the first time in April of that year. I was just check, fact-checking my uh, timeline on this. Uh, and I was also in a big-time kind of time travel movie phase. Okay. Like, for whatever reason, I, w- I watched, like, right after another, I watched um, The Lake House, the, the Keanu Reeves movie. Okay. Uh, Keanu Reeves, I think, classique. Maybe we can talk about that on the show. Uh-oh. I'm it away. Uh, about Time. Which I yeah, which I love actually. I, yeah, I, I, okay. I really like that movie. Okay, all right. And uh, an Alan Renee movie that whose name is escaping me, but who how I reviewed it on Letterboxd was the Eat Your Vegetables version of About Time because it was about the same thing. Uh, is it last year at Marion Bad? No, uh, I'm gonna look this. Up. I just I saw so I just did a little bit of uh, research about my own whatever I was watching. Yeah, and uh, the other movie was Columbus. Which is a great movie. Oh, I love movie. Columbus. That's a great movie. And it technically counted because it was... I think Columbus was this, the seed that was planted to get me to watch Ozu and all... Get into Ozu sure. last year. 100%. That movie is freaking incredible. Yeah. I'm trying to find what that... Oh, maybe we should cover that on the show. That'd be a good one. I'd love to re- revisit that one. That's a great movie. That'd be uh, a great Jetem, movie. Jetem was the other time travel Jetem, movie. Jetem. Um, and I can't find what that... So the movies that I have logged for whatever reason are Columbus... I thought we watched The Handmaiden in class. I guess we maybe we did. But Handmaiden, Kim Min Hee, star of Right Now, Wrong Then, in The Handmaiden. Kim Min Hee is one of my favorite actors. She's incredible. I love her. Well, um, I can't find what the other. So anyway, so anyways, so this invades. So it invaded your this mind. Invaded my mind. I'm in a time travel phase. And I'm like, I kind of remember this movie Right Now, Wrong Then, seeing a trailer for it at Cine Family, and I see this DVD on the shelf of the library. I'm in a time travel thing. It seemed vaguely time travely, so I pick it up and I put it in. And it just kind of, like, sublimated with me. Because uh, I'd n- never seen... The way that Hong... So, the way that Han Sang-soo directs, and the way that his movies are very... Uh, sublimated is the word that I'm following and coming back to now, because it's just, like... 
He doesn't do a lot of cuts. Hardly any. He he kind of just cuts from one scene to the next. Like, yeah. Those are the only edits that he does in this movie. Well, he basically edits in camera. And he edits in camera, too. So, do you know anything about his production style? No. I love this. I love this. Uh, we're not. We haven't talked about the movie at all. We're just talking kind of around the movie, but we'll get well, to it's it. Kind of. You kind of have to talk about the guy. I think you do, and that's why I really wanted to talk about it because this is a guy that, and I, he's a extremely prolific. Was that like maybe two or three movies a year for the last seventeen years? Unf- like twenty five unf- movies, something. Fortunately, known as the Woody Allen of South Korea, but for a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. Yes, yes. and I'll get into that too. And yeah. that's I think that's why like. You know, when I was in college, I was a I was like a, a dumb little boy, and I, I, I dumb little boy, dumb little boy, and I loved Woody Allen movies. Sure, to the point that when I was like you know twenty twenty one, and I first heard about these allegations, I did everything in my power to be like, well, we don't know the full side. Eek. Yeah, not <laughs> out of some things I've I've left online from that era in regards to this whole controversy, but it was like, you know, the last time I remember watching a new Woody Allen movie was I think. Like a movie that had been released, like, yeah. theatrically in our lifetime? Not in our lifetime. Well, the last, the most recent Woody Allen movie I can remember seeing is, I think, Blue Jasmine. Okay. I don't think I've seen any of his other stuff since then. Okay. And I don't think that I've, I sat down to watch Crimes and Misdemeanors, one of my first months in L.A., but before that, like, I watched Manhattan, like, in my last, one of my last weeks in Chicago, and I was just... So depressed. Uh, <laughs> so for those of you listening along at home, Mason stopped talking, got up and did this to the microphone, which is where you get really close and talk like this. Um, so Just and, for those listening at home. And Manhattan is a very wintry movie. Sure. It's a sad movie. And it's also a movie about a 40-year-old man who uh, uh, fucks a 17-year-old. Yep. Tricky movie. Yep. <laughs> yep. But anyways, but there's still that kind of like, I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a my I'm at combat with my mind sometimes. Sure. And that's what I think I liked about Woody Allen's movies is that you I got the sense from watching his movies that he was just expressing his sort of interior battles. Yeah. Making movies about them, and he did one a year, uh, and he kind of did one a year. So you're kind of on track with his like development and the fact that he's like regressing and doing a lot of period pieces now probably shows a lot about where that guy's fucking mind is. Sure. Uh, anyways, um, so when I threw that guy out, I was really happy when I found Hong Sang Soo because you do get, like, he's a very uh, 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 emotionally tumultuous guy. He's very thoughtful, yeah. I think. And he makes, he doesn't do a lot of pre-production. Okay. He basically just gets, like, like the costumes for the characters, the s- locations set up and everything. And then, like, kind of on the day, writes that day's dialogue. Oh. The actors perform, and then they, they then call they it, home. and they do the next day. Wow. What a fuck. Yeah, and that's <laughs> how he does it. Like, and I, I don't know, some, some part of me is like, this style, This is maybe the peak of how you make these things. Sure. Like, just quick and fast like this. Or at least, like, this, this it's uh, The Souvenir that came out this year, which is my favorite movie of the year so far. Wow. I don't think anything's going to particularly top it in just terms of how I respond, respond and keep responding to it when I watch it or think about it. Um, Joanna Hogg did a very similar production style. Sure. She got a bunch of people together, made the sets, wrote the script kind of as it came to her, and didn't do a, uh, and gave it to Honor Swintonburn, like kind of on the day. And there's this kind of, uh, what I like about that directing style, and I, to bring it to today's film, right now, wrong then, Noah and I are picking it up. We're picking putting up in, that style. That style. I'm putting, putting it in the box of right now, wrong then. Um, this movie, like you said, 
plot-wise, and I think you describe it on Letterboxes as Groundhog Day meets Before Sunrise, yep. which is right in the money, right in the pocket, right there. Right That's there, what it baby. is. Um, because it is about a man who has to learn how to talk and be with other people. And do it in a way that doesn't destroy relationships. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I've seen this, this is the fourth time I'd seen, sat down and watched it. Is that the most of any movie we've covered on the pod so far? uh, As Probalo, I mean, like I watched Jennifer's Body three times, but I watched the theatrical cut twice and watched the... Director's cut once. Once, Okay. Uh, After Hours, I'd only seen twice, uh... Yeah, so this is the number one so far of just or just it. And I was, like, looking back at my letterbox logs of it, and I was like, I swear to God I had logged and watched this more because just kind of always just, like, batting around in my head. Sure. But watching it this time, I was really trying to pay attention to um, the behavior of Kim Min-hee, and I want to get the actor's name right, too, uh, but how they are different in each section. Sure. Um, because I think that that is what... Hong Sang Soo is very good at uh, uh, chronicling and capturing. And similar in The Day He Arrives also, um, for the listeners at home if you're not familiar with The Day He He Arrives, which I would agree is probably a good place to start for him because it's like, this is a two-hour long movie and if you're not up, like, if you're not like me and you just like kind of just get tickled by anything new and just like kind of want to sit with it for a little bit, this would not be the one I would recommend to start with. No, I'd start with either The Day He Arrives or Grass, probably. I haven't seen Grass, actually. Grass I haven't seen, but from what I've read, it's a little bit more similar to The Day He Arrives. It's definitely shorter. Yeah. And it's definitely a better just place to start in terms of cleaning your palate of the director because yeah. it's probably one of those guys where you're either going to like what he does or you're not going to like Exactly. What he does. You are either going to be in the pocket and really... Because the thing is that, like, he... Hong Sang Soo, with the friends that I have that also know and are familiar with his work, are kind of like me, where they're just, like, obsessed with him. Sure. You know, and uh, it just kind of became a thing where it's like, I had to find as, as fast as I could as many movies as I could watch by him as possible. So I'd seen, like, I checked on Letterboxd, and I'd seen, like, a quarter, I've seen, like, a quarter of his movies. Oh, wow. Kind of just uh, by, based on, like, what I have just available to me at the libraries around here. Sure. Uh, what's on Canopy or, or Criterion. Criterion Channel. Yeah. Uh, just I have the On the Beach at Night Alone Blu-ray. Uh, Jay Young Jong is Director Ham in this movie, Director Han. And just, just to clarify, when I earlier when I said he edits in camera, what I meant by that is he, one of the most distinctive, at least visual things about his films is that he will usually start with the wide of yeah. the scene. Yes, yes, yes. And then as the scene progresses... He will literally zoom and readjust yeah. for a section of the dialogue and the section of the scene. Yeah. And then readjust when he wants to go back to the wide or move to a new shot. Yeah. Which is a... I have never... I mean, Altman does something similar. Right. But it's much more style. It's Well, I'm not going to say much more style, but it's much more direct and he's cutting more and he's using different aspects of right. what cinema has to offer. Whereas that's kind of Hong Sang Su's like one trick so to speak as far as the camera goes yeah, yeah because yeah. he's not doing a lot his shots aren't very uh three-dimensional they're very flat yeah and he's using it almost as a this is like a little i spy picture it's like exactly here's yeah, yeah, the yeah. frame and yeah. then we're gonna zoom and we're gonna look at this part of the yeah. frame and how does that interact differently than when it was wide and now we're gonna move the next part he's yeah. mainly panning and zooming and that's pretty much what he does it is you it is uh it's very um observant without observant and calling attention to the fact that it's observant. Yes. Like he's really trying to pull you into observing these people 
and just spending time with him. And that is kind of why I love his movie so much. And the, the kind of power that I get is just he's so good at just letting people interact in the frame. Uh, he's very, he, his, like, one of his major influences is Eric Romare, and I just started watching a lot sure. of his movies. And Romare is a uh, French New Wave director. Kind of gets lost when you look at some of the big boys. Like, yeah. He like, can be, like, yeah. a lot of, I mean, a lot of the time you think of Truffaut and Godard. You and, think Truffaut, you think, yeah. You, but you don't really hear about Romare from the, like, in the masses on Letterboxd, yeah. obviously. Yeah, he's yeah, kind yeah, of a yeah. god, but, like, he's one of those guys that kind of just gets... Kind of left to the side. I I think the first time that I saw a, I, the first time I saw a Romare movie was in my junior year of college in an editing class. Okay. Because my editing teacher, one of my favorite just teachers at Columbia, uh, was my edit two teacher Jason Beggy. I think I want to say his last name. Jason. I don't know. Anyways, he had a just a deep knowledge of film, but not your typical film school kind of stuff. Sure. And showed us uh, one of his one of Romare's six uh, moral tales to Baker Girl Monescu. Okay. Uh, short film. If you can find it, watch it definitely. Probably on Criterion. It's definitely on Criterion. I think it might even be on YouTube or something. Oh now. wow. Um, but what uh, Romare was like twenty years older than anybody else in the French New Wave, basically. He was 40 when he directed his first movie. Because he was mainly doing criticism and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He was, yeah. He was part of the, the cashier's crowd, which is why, you know, uh, I think it was in Cahier du Cinema. Yeah. Uh, I think he was part of that group. But um, he, like Han sang Su, is very... He's a lot more deliberate with his framing. Totally. But I think the way that he sh- films actors and people interacting, Han sang Su has a lot from him. Totally. It is a very clear, like... Uh, I've seen uh, My Night at Mods and then yeah. a lot of Claire's Knee. I've never, I did not finish Claire's I've Knee. I've not finished Claire's Knee. I have seen Claire's Camera, which is a Hong Sang Soo movie with Isabelle Huppel. Isabelle, actually, Claire's Camera might be, a, that's like a more explicit comedy. It's very light and bubbly. Okay. And that might be another good one to get into just so that you can kind of get you, like, get him on your tongue a little bit, so to speak, you know, like, just... Get him on your tongue, take a little taste, uh, and enjoy the ride. And, uh, Claire's Camera is a movie that is also largely in English, because it's, like, a shared language between Kim and he and Isabelle Huppert, and okay. I want to assume Hong Sang Su speaks English, too. Which is an interesting thing, like, that, all of his movies in some way or another are about how people talk to each other. Totally. And... And how fucking hard that and is. And how fucking hard it is, especially this one. Yeah. Um, and I just want, like, I took a lot of notes this time. Uh-oh. But I really wanted to... May I do a little intro for you cracking open the notes? Yes. <laughs> this is Mason's Notebook. So... <laughs> so as, that's a new intro. <laughs> whenever you crack it open, I'm just gonna do that. <laughs> So, what do you got this time? This is a movie about communicating and talking, I totally. think. Totally. Um, in every other thing that I read about this movie, greatest of the people I've seen on Letterboxd, like David Ehrlich's review, it's, people are focused on honesty. Because here's another thing about Hong Sang Soo, and here's another reason why I love this movie in particular in his filmography. This movie ruined his marriage. <laughs> Did it really? So, speaking of Woody Allen. IRL. I, speaking of Woody Allen. Yeah. Woody Allen, controversial figure, definitely for being a uh, 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 an incestual rapist. Definitely controversial is a good word to use. <laughs> yeah, Hong Sang Soo, like the director character in this movie. Oh, that's another thing. All of his protagonists in movies, like how every Stephen King protagonist is a writer. Yeah, every single Hong Sang or every single uh, Woody Allen protagonist is 
Woody Allen. Can I say something very letterboxed about that real quick? Yeah. This is very, like, uh-huh, very about that. But what his what he's very interesting at doing is using the, profess- the profession of director and filmmaker as a starting point. Yes. Whereas people like Abbas Kiristami and Edward Yang mm-hmm. are almost reflexive about cinema itself exactly yeah through their movies where i don't think he's reflexive about cinema itself he's yeah he's reflexive about relationships and people through the profession of i'm a filmmaker yeah that's yeah, what yeah, he yeah. knows whereas edward yang through e and uh a brighter summer day and abbas kiristami through like close-up and mm-hmm. stuff like that certified I, copy certified copy i think they're much more interested in cinema as a reflexive tool about cinema and their relationship to yeah. cinema. Yeah, Whereas yeah. I don't think Hong Sang Su is concerned about that, but he every main character is of someone related to film, whether he's a professor, which is he a professor? He is a professor. So, he's so that's how he funds a lot of his he's I think a professor first and that's how he funds a lot of his movies through his production company or his production companies just through the school. Okay. So I think a lot of his crew are probably students. Sure. I would guess. Um and, uh, but yes, that's why you see a lot of his characters as professors. Professors and or directors. Film directors, yeah. Um, but just a little side note, that's very highbrow, very letterboxed so, of me to say, so, so I'll but, come back down So now. back to, that's important to know. Yes. Because um, it's brought into this movie that director Hom is a womanizer. Yes. And in this movie, Hong Sang-soo and Kim Bin-hee started an affair. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yikes. And it became this semi-media sensation. Yeah. And uh, Hong Sang-soo was like, I'm going to leave my wife to be with Kim Bin-hee. Nice. And his wife was like, you're fucking not doing that, dude. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, um, then after that, you get On the Beach at Night Alone, which is more about how the ensuing media fallout affected her specifically. Sure. Which is why I like and can why I like him and think he's an interesting person to study and an interesting filmmaker and why we've got to throw Woody Allen out with the fucking bathwater. There you go. But the fact that we still have like people standing for Woody Allen in the year of our Lord 2019 is just so insane. And I think it's just because a lot of uh, uh, emotionally affected crazy in like just brain always going all the time young men don't have anybody else in cinema that they think they, they can relate to and but they have Hong Sang Su they have Hong Sang Su cause like on the beat we talked about crimes and misdemeanors I think once before on this podcast very briefly very briefly and that is I think as close to an, maybe a rational man from what I understand is also like this I haven't seen a rational man that was a Joaquin movie with Emma Stone and I like both of them yeah exactly so maybe at some point I'll just like sit down and just like try to consider it but Irrational Man is, obje- is a, mo- a movie about the controversy around himself and, like, him weathering that or, or like, whatever happens to him. Like, it is he, he is the center character in that. On the Beach at Night Alone is very much about how uh, lonely and isolated Kim Bin-Hee felt at, during ensuing, after this ensuing media kind of controversy. Did they actually end up together? Like, he legitimately I didn't leave his wife? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. We were speaking about, we, off mic, we were speaking on The Ringer. There's the a Ringer article that uh, details this, but they have worked before since. They he's she's been in basically all of his movies since. Like she was in uh, Claire's Camera comes out after this. Uh, the day after, 
is a one that's kind of explicitly about that. Let's look um, to see if he's in grass. I don't know. Uh, the day after is a f- pretty good one, but you got to be like really deep into the into the the pot of Hong Sang Soo in order to uh, uh, get that. I feel like we haven't talked about the movie a lot, so I'm gonna try. And we have uh, we've been talking for almost an hour. She is in uh, grass, so there you go. And so she's in Hotel by the River as well. So I think. I think so. All this to say, I understand. Uh, reading your letterbox review on this, you yes. did not give it a star rating. I did you not. had to think you. It was kind of difficult for you to get in your head. I, I understand. It was. It was. I guess difficult for me to get in my head. It was just difficult for me to be, even. I guess interested. I guess. Okay. Not not interested in the way where I'm like, I understand what's going on because it's not complicated. You know, it's pretty straightforward. I think as right. far as like what is literally happening. Right. 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 But it as someone who. I love, do love foreign film. Yeah. But it's just, you gotta be invested in those words. Yeah. And if you're just not ready to be invested in those words, you're not gonna have fun with this one. I don't think so either. I think, it is, I wanted to bring it on the pod because I just wanted to talk about it. I wanted to talk about him and I think that he is a guy, um, you know, we've had a couple foreign films on. We've had Stalker, which is kind of like a pantheon foreign film. We've had Wild Tales, which is kind of a contemporary, just like, just sort of like Marvel almost. Yeah. Like it's a thing that you watch you're like how the fuck did they get this thing together? Totally. Uh, and you're just along for the ride and it's just kind of just like when people talk about peak of cinema one of the ex- ideas is of that feeling is the feeling I got watching Wild Tales where it was just constant discovery. Sure. And and just being brought along in a bunch of little stories but kind of one big story. Hong Sang Soo and this is a tradition in a lot of uh, more independent and festival minded kind of uh foreign films it's just kind of whatever you can get together sure and you know we were talking about marty earlier but the thing that he was saying that i think is he's correct about is not that the marvel movies are bad per se it's just what they are is pure entertainment sure and you know i saw this i see this thing time and time again and i just want to get on the fucking record with my thoughts on this ding 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 basing on the record opening up the notebook basing on the record uh, entertainment value for a movie is not the only criteria that you should be judging something sure um, it's nice if a movie's entertaining i'm not going to say every movie should be like right now wrong then because then there would be no, this would not be as special as it was. No. I, I don't think it would be as special to me. If every movie looked and felt like right now, wrong then, it would just be uh, kind of a bland world. I like having my Mission Impossibles. Sure. You know, I like having my Black Panthers or whatever. But the dangerous thing about the time that we live in, and the thing that I think frustrates a lot of people, even they can't express it, is that movies are only, can only be entertaining and can only be escape. And. You know, thinking back to the very, very first projected image, largely is this. My neighbors are talking outside. Sorry, this is they're talking about entertainment. They're talking about entertainment. They're having the exact same discussion in <laughs> Spanish, which is insane to me. It's crazy. Um, Let's get them in here. But it's like you know the byproduct. Like you know, there's a story about you, you hear the story about like how when they played the the train coming into the station, how people thought the train was actually coming. They got up and ran away. Sure. That is a byproduct of what those guys which were actually doing, which was just documenting everyday life. Yeah. And Martin Scorsese's point was, that's what cinema is. The entertainment is what you get from feeling like you've experienced everyday life. Not to say that the money and time that goes into Marvel movies uh, is, is 
ill-spent, is um, illegitimate. He's just trying to get people to understand and look bigger. Basically, his point was, read a book, you fucking nerds! There you go. Um, Thank you, Mason. And all to say that, like, I just wish that people would sit with how uh, uh, cinema from... Because if you start having these narrow definitions of cinema, then you start to think that the world is very different. And what's great about movies, I think, is that you can just spend two hours with people in South Korea as they're trying to navigate a relationship. Because what they are doing on a very specific level is something every single person has done to a greater exactly. or lesser degree. Exactly. And I think that, like, you know, I, I've been saying it up and down. I'm so excited that, like, the next big show is probably going to be Succession. Like, the next thing that everyone's in, like, after this Game of Thrones wave has ended, people are going to be... Uh, engaging with a show about real people and in a real world. And, you know, time, when it, I would talk about why I didn't like Game of Thrones and I would, or wasn't interested in watching it, it's just like, I don't do fantasy. Like, I can't be in fantasy for an hour every week or 80 hours of my life or whatever the fuck it is. Just because it doesn't interest me. Sure. I am not scared of the world that I live in. Sure. In the world that I live in, is fucking weird and messy, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Like, and I, I, I don't want to say that you're a bad... I don't want to say you're a bad person for, like, in Game of Thrones or, like, stuff that's fantasy. If that's how you get through your life, that's fine. But it helps you to open your mind a little bit and uh, just uh, expose yourself to new stuff, which is what this show is all about, I think. And he hasn't even opened the notebook. I have yet, a, Well, the point I want to say about... So the point I wanted to say is that... All this prelude just to talk about the movie itself for a minute, because it is, like, plot level, movie happens, break, we get the title sequence. We get one title sequence right then, wrong now. We go through the movie, uh, and then we get a break. Uh, we get, so, the break happens. Um, about halfway through the movie. Li probably literally halfway through the movie. I didn't have the timestamp on. But it's, um, uh, the director and, and Kim Min-hee meet at a, uh, a, like a, tem a temple, temple of some yeah. kind. Yeah, yeah, Um In the first one, she introduces herself to him. Then he introduces himself to her in the second one. They kind of go through the day. They visit her studio. They get sushi together and sake. And then they go to her friend's house. She goes home. The next day, at a uh, he goes to a Q&A at a film festival. Uh, and at the midpoint, he has this... Uh, uh, breakdown, kind of, answering the question of what does film mean to you? And I wrote it down. Uh-oh. And this is what the movie is about. This is, if you are curious about watching this movie, I say start with the day he arrives so you're not surprised at the kind of anything that this movie is. Um, the day he arrives, I think, is also entertaining. It's also largely about the same things but in a much more compact form. It feels like a Eugene O'Neill drama. It does, bit, it yeah. does. It's very, uh, it's... Uh, I think that movie's also fucking great. That might be, like, probably one of my favorite movies of the decade, even if this is my favorite Hong Sang Soo, just because I've rewatched it so many times. Um, anyways, so, um, he's asked by, the director is asked, and he's just, like, feeling kind of embarrassed and kind of bad about his behavior, left on kind of, like, frosty terms with Kim Min-hee. Uh, and I think you, watching it this first time, I was way tuned into his body language and just how he was, like, like so, um... He was, like, kind of mirroring her and trying to make her feel better and not really asking, talking about himself or showing anything. Uh, and it's the, in the first one, also, in the first segment, for maybe the first ten minutes, 
there's a voiceover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that disappears completely in the second one, in the second segment. So, uh, anyway, so he's asked, what are films to you? How would you explain, uh, how would you just, uh, what's your explanation? How would you describe it? He goes, uh, I think I start out not knowing anything. And with that approach, I try to discover new kinds of things. These words flood my mind now. If I say them out loud, they become uh, sentences, but they're merely just words. Films, myself, all these things I've experienced in your lives, they have nothing to do with such words. Power of words, to hell with it. I don't know what all of these, uh, the fuss about is trying to find such words. As for me, I don't think such important words exist. Rather, they get in the way. Maybe you should have asked me with a smile. <laughs> it's nothing really to do with movies, really, I think, what he's talking about. No, because, yeah. yeah, 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 because that's... You're right that he's interested in directing as a profession and how he as a director sees and relates it to the people around him yeah. and his world. And um, his movies are dialogue-driven just because they can't really be anything else. He, he makes them nothing else. Like, he yeah. makes them... He picks what he wants to do. Yeah. And then because of how he shoots and how he orchestrates his films... It's words, baby. It is That's words. what drives the film. But here's what the other thing is. Words here's and part, performance. Here's part two. So, uh, in, at the end of the part, at the end of the first part, they depart. He doesn't see her again. Yep. Uh, she's out of his she's life. She's just out of his life. Her friend comes to the Q&A and leaves him a book that she put an inscription in. And what she wrote, and I put this on my Instagram at some point, like, last year. Just Whoa. like... Just because I was a... Uh, I was, wanted to. I, I, I wanted to. I wanted to... I was at this, this office job, and I felt like I needed to be validated as a, as, a, as a pretentious art boy, so I put this up on my Instagram. Good. Anyways, this is the inscription. You said disco- discovering what is hidden in the surface of our lives is the only way to overcome fears. I feel the same. Read that one more time. You said discovering what is hidden in the surface of our lives is the only way to overcome fears. I That's feel nice. the same. It's nice. Yeah. It's just, it's I agree. Just, it's just a nice, it's a good nice thing to think about. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the, that's the kind of thing that motivates like the jump back in time, the, the cut or whatever. What's great is that there's no in movie explanation for why the cut happens. It just happens. It happens. And that's part of the allure and the charm of everything is that, yeah. you know, as an audience member, bro, you're fucking this up. Yeah. And it's like, is this how this movie is going to end? Is this this bittersweet note of like, he didn't get the girl, but at least he gets like an opportunity to sort of like feel better about what he can do in the future. Yeah. Nope. He gets a real ass chance to do it again. And he does a pretty good job. He does a good job. He like, even from the top, like he listens to her. He's asking about her. And you know, in the first section, she was talking about how she's lonely, doesn't have any friends. And he has a really shitty thing, which is like, Oh, you're a good friend, but I like you more than a friend, you know, and just completely embarrasses both of them. He's very selfish. He's very selfish. And the second one, he realizes that, like, it's okay for him to, uh, uh, one, notice the other person and kind of use the sensitive, his, like, innate sensitivity for good. Like, what I love is this the scene that kind of maybe not bothered me, but I had a difficulty uh, figuring out was the second studio scene. Okay. Where he's, like, there's a my neighbors are just they're really happy about they're the really happy about scene. the second studio scene um the first time I think the first time you watch it first and second time I watched it I was like oh like he's just really being mean okay but uh, this, the third and fourth time that I watched it I was like no he's kind of just saying what she needs and wants to hear yeah and she like is um 
And, you know, maybe he wasn't being as fully honest the first time because he was scared of upsetting her. Scared of being rejected. Scared of being rejected. Um, and, you know, he says his piece, and she gets defensive at him, and he leaves to smoke a cigarette. But then she, like, comes up right after him and lets him know that everything's, like, okay. Um, that he, like, she, like, took the criticism to heart and, like, thought about it. And she's, like, worked through it. And that's, like, kind of the thing that motivates the second part. And, uh, I, th- and what I think is so beautiful about this movie is that they do get the second chance and they really capitalize on it. It's like you get Before Sunrise and Before Sunset all in one movie. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh... Except if Before Sunset was the same exact situation Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, why do you think of that one, Dickie Lynx? Um... Holy shit. That's crazy. <laughs> Dickie Lynx, that's fucked. Um, but what I love about, uh... The way that this movie ends in the spoiler corner is spoiler corner, baby. Uh, he does he drinks too much and takes off his clothes in front of his friends. Yep, her friends, I should say. Uh, and when she finds out about it, she's kind of like tickled by it almost, and she's like, "This is not a big deal. I'll figure it out." It's be it's because and it's because of what he does previously. Yeah, in the in the it, it, preceding that, and that's what the temple and then the studio, and then they go see the friends, right? Yes, is, yeah. So it's like everything. Temple studio sushi friends. Temple studio sushi friends. Temple Studio Sushi Friends. Temple Studio Sushi Friends. Ba-bum! And he Looking just... Looking for clues! <laughs> so he just, he gets, you know, he gets to do it again, and he gets to say, you know, like, I, uh... He, without saying it, he realizes, you know, in a lot of ways, what he did differently. Yeah. And maybe it's not him realizing what he did differently. Maybe it's just the, now here's how this is really supposed to happen. Yeah, It's yeah, unclear yeah. about whether this is... He, whether the director character is aware of the fact that this is a second chance, which is yeah. kind of nice. Yeah. Because it literally just feels like this was draft 1A. Yeah. And then the break, and now this is draft 1B. Yeah. You know, and so you're getting to see same shit, same day, same shit, different same outcome, day. <laughs> different outcome, different boy. Uh, yeah, and I think what's great is, like, you're absolutely right, is that he is a selfish man in the beginning, and so much of his, uh, his character is, like, what he's withholding from... Kim it's what he's are, afraid of. It's what he's afraid of. He's afraid of the fact that he loves this woman because he's married and has two kids. And he wants to keep that a secret from her because I think he's afraid of how he'll look. If, yeah, he, and, and the it, second time, he's fairly upfront with it. Like, he confesses his love to her and says, but I'm married and have two kids. And it makes him really upset. But he says, and it makes him happy that he said it. Yep. It makes it, it's that joy of being, I mean, this guy is now canceled, but in Louie, yeah. I don't remember what it was like. I think it was season four, I think. He's like talking to uh, a doctor. Yeah. Did you watch Louis? I watched some of Louis. Okay, I also watched some of Louis. Yeah. I would skip around. There were episodes I thought were great and episodes that I thought were not. Yeah, me too. Um, but there's this episode, I think it's season, it's either season three or four, I can't remember. But he's talking to a doctor character mm-hmm. in Central Park. Uh-huh. And it's like snowing and he's got this dog and he's like, you know what's happier than a, than a three-legged dog, which is what this dog is. And he's yeah. like, only a four-legged dog, you know? And he's like, misery is wasted on the miserable. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. be glad that you get to feel miserable because that means you're alive or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And that's the sentiment I felt in that moment when he says, like, I'm married, I have two kids. This is tearing me up inside, yeah. but I'm glad because it means that's how much I love and care about you. Yeah. And I don't know. That was a very beautiful moment. I think that, like, I know we're abandoning genres, but if I had to put a box around this, this is like a time... It operates under the same kind of emotional logic as a time travel romance. Which like, is like about time. Like about time, like about the lake house, which is why, it, like, those movies are all, like, stuck together in my mind right now. Uh, and kind of forever, I think. Because, this, it, like, the thing that operates those movies, and which is what pisses me off when people are like... The internal logic gets you get real fucking gives you like real fucking dorks about like the internal logic. It's like 
the out the story is the structure for the emotional journey that these people are on. Totally. Uh, and you know you can bend and rule play around with time travel because time travel doesn't exist. Hell yeah, hell yeah, brother, hell yeah. Uh, and you know if it doesn't make sense how the the time travel rules and about time works, it doesn't matter because it's a story about living your life basically. Mason, wouldn't you say we're all time travelers? We are we're only time- one second into the future at all times. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Cheers, bro. I'll drink to that. (laughs) Um, But what I like about this movie is that um, I think it's kind of, it reminds me of Lost in Translation. Sure. Because. Another movie I don't like very much. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That's okay. Um, I haven't seen that movie probably since I was in high school, but I think if I watched it again, I would appreciate it more. That's my, because I watched somewhere very recently for the first time. I really like that one. Anyways. Uh, they don't get together at the end of this. No. Because I think in the first half, he was expecting them to get together, and that's, like, was kind of, uh, 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 like... That was part of the problem. Decisions. Part of the problem was that he was expecting them to get together, or really wanted them to, without realizing that it's kind of impossible for them to. Because he has to go back to Seoul, and she stays in Suwon, I believe is the city. Okay. Right? Suwon. Um, and they have this really, uh, uh... She comes to see his movie, like, right after the Q&A. Doesn't get a chance to see the Q&A, but sticks around for one of his other movies. Uh, and what's great is that this movie ends on a shot of Kim Min-hee in the theater watching a movie and the and On the Beach at Night Alone, the next movie that he made with her, starts with her in a the theater watching a movie by herself. There you go. She looks very sad. Uh, good, MCU. good companion pieces. Good companion pieces, these two. It's just like the MCU. It's all fucking characters, baby. <laughs> um... I do not. I do not. The you. <laughs> I do not recommend this, but listening to you talk about it makes me appreciate it more. I guess it's like all I can say. You know, that's what kind of my. I don't know. Like, I'm not really. I don't rate things on Letterbox just because I'm not about. Uh, I think it enforces a hierarchy that I'm not really about. Sure. Uh, and I just kind of would rather just like have somebody come around to my side then just like kind of agree with me that something's like a four or a five star this is a five star motion picture it kind of fl- flits, flies in and out of my letterbox top four depending on my mood sure uh right now it is in my top four alongside alongside the souvenir alongside eric romare's the green ray wow and i think what is my what's my number one? Oh, and desert hearts the movie desert hearts okay uh which doesn't we should should have found a way to bring up desert hearts in this we're just episode. bringing it up right now baby well, see Desert Hearts, uh, great Donna Deitch lesbian romance from the early mid '80s. Mid '80s, baby. Mid '80s, baby. Uh, I mean, again, this is the thing. Like, I all to say, I don't know if I could recommend. Like, I don't know if I would recommend this to somebody. Sure. Thing. I, it's another situation where like I kind of have to feel them out. If I think that they could take and understand, just like really sit with what the movie is, that's what it is. This isn't a general recommendation. Sure. Uh, but I didn't bring this movie on the pod to necessarily have something to recommend. It was just something I wanted to talk about. Sure. And to get... And you did. Yes! Are you fuck? <laughs> yeah. I was on my fucking bullshit. I warned you guys today. This is gonna be a very Mason-heavy episode. Uh, which is driving me insane because I edit these and I, the one thing I do is cut myself down more because I just talk too much. Anyways, uh, I... It's fine. Another fine. one in the I'm can. Fine. Another one in the can. Uh, We're gonna be back. We would episode, this will be episode nine. We're going to be talking about episode 10 next week. Uh, I might have a guest. It might be another solo one. Hey, man, we're we're making this thing by the seat of our pants. (laughs) There's no no pressure. We might even do 
seven people next time. <laughs> we might even do eight people next time. Uh, do you have anything that you do want to recommend, though? Um, yeah, I guess this week I'll plug... Um, I'll plug freaking... You go first. Don't need to think about it. Plug, plug your shit uh, I'll recommend... Uh, I will recommend... I think we talked about Parasite. Actually, that was going to be the one that I recommend. Sure. Uh, I'm thinking... I'm just going to look through my letterbox here. Oh, think of Joanna Hogg. Um, sorry, I'm just going through... Oh, you know what? Watch the... Uh, it's Halloween spooky season. Probably not when this lands. But uh, I watched uh, Ken Russell's The Lair of the White Worm recently. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, bizarre movie. Sure. Fucking bonkers. Another thing that there's nothing else like it. So sure. that will be my recommendation this week is Lair of the White Worm starring a baby, baby, baby Hugh Grant and a baby, baby, baby Peter Capaldi. Oh, wow. Uh, I'll recommend Over the Garden Wall. I still need to see that. Which is a, the as far as I can tell, the only ever cartoon animated miniseries. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I can't think of another a cartoon miniseries. Uh, right. It came out, I want to say, either 2014 or 2015. It's brilliant. For seven, there's ten episodes, and for seven of them, you think, oh, it's just a really fun animated little series about kids trapped in the woods. Mm-hmm. And then the last three episodes just ratcheted up to a place that is so emotionally fulfilling and so interesting and so uh, surprising. And so that's what I that. like so much <laughs> is when it just can... Take those expectations of something that you think you know what it is, and then just ratchet it that one more notch that it needs, and it becomes something maybe not completely different than you thought, mm. but it makes it unexpected. And that's what I think is so cool about uh, Over the Garden Wall. Almost said Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> oh, oh, go Under the Silver Lake, Lake to watch Over, over the, the Garden, Garden Wall. Wall. Uh, I speaking of under, here's another thing I want to recommend: the uh, special features on the Social Network Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, they're great. Because I watched uh, I watched the making of documentary last night. Okay. Um, because uh, I was. I've just been thinking about directors all week because Marty's been in the news and I'm just thinking about the wrong bad things that people say about directors and uh, David Fincher is a guy that I think people say wrong bad things about all the time. Okay. I think... In what way? Because he is a... People... uh, He is a detail-obsessed man and people automatically think that makes him like a tyrant but you watch footage of him working with people and he's very affable and very personable. Sure. And people like working with him. Yeah, I think people like knowing what they're supposed to do. Exactly. That's the thing. And, um, you know... There's all this hullabaloo about the fact that he shot the opening scene of the the opening dialogue scene between Mark and Erica Albright like did 99 takes, but both Rooney Mara and and Jesse Eisenberg said no, we would have gone for take 100. Like we were like game to do this. Like sure. this is what we love to do. Like right. you know they're both I think like theatrically trained. At least Jesse Eisenberg is, and what he does is like you do the whole thing for your day, and that's your day. And he gets frustrated. It can be frustrated being a film actor where you're just like doing minute stuff, and that's your day, not really fulfilling. Um, all to say that just the fact that he does a, that he makes you do a lot of work doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad person, and that's why his movies are good. Sure. <laughs> and also the thing I will say about the ninety nine takes thing also is it's that's a scene about a relationship breaking down. Sure. And uh, in order to get people that kind of like raw emotional level, you've got to make them do the same shit over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that is a good thing to do only with the full consent of everybody involved. Don't spring that on your actors as a surprise, directors, if you're listening to this. And it relates to right now, wrong man. It does relate to right now, wrong man. Uh, what are you going to plug on uh, Instagram, own? hot dog, debicki, good sky, T-O-N-I-T-E. Uh, Letterboxd, as always, my other podcast, the Barn, a podcast about the Shield. Going strong with that still. Uh, I think 
that about does it. My name is Noah Marger. Um, I'll also, I recommend uh, Over the Garden Wall, but as far as plug goes, I have a good friend named Claire, and Claire has a band called Inverted Jenny. Ooh, oh, I like that name. And uh, they're on Spotify uh, as Inverted Jenny. Uh, oh God, don't fucking kill me. I think Claire, the album is Claire, called... Claire, we're sorry. We're sorry. I think the, the album, album is, is called, called... We're sorry. The album is called We Fucked Up Big Time. No, the album is called... Fuck, is it Cosmic Crush? Cosmic um, Crush. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, I like this album cover. Yeah, it's called Cosmic Crush. That's the name of the... It's an EP. It's not really an album. But. Four songs, 15 minutes. You have the time in your life, folks. Do it. Uh, she's very talented, and I'll plug that. And uh, I guess we'll see you next week. See you next week.